I'd like to call the Monday, December 11th, 2023 regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully. Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Here. Councilmember Ramsdale. Present. Councilmember Mork. Present. Councilmember McConnell. Present. Councilmember Poby. Here. Councilmember Roberts. Here. All right, and tonight is a special night. We are recognizing the retirement of outgoing Councilmember Doris Fujioka McConnell. Councilmember, would you care to join me down at the podium? And we've got a, a slideshow showing some high points from Councilmember McConnell's career. So Councilmember McConnell was on the council when I first joined 12 years ago. She has served Shoreline for a total of 16 years, and she ties with former Councilmember Keith McGlashan as the longest-serving Councilmember in the city of Shoreline. First elected in 2007 and elected the next three cycles, she served as deputy mayor in 2019. And I'm going to list some of the accomplishments that the council did during the course of her tenure. We are, a team. we are a team, and we couldn't have done it without her. But then at the end of this talk, I want to mention a few things that Doris has done individually, because she has been a force for the community, both on the council and out and about. She, previous to being on the Shoreline City Council, she served on various school district PTAs in a variety of capacities. She developed the team gift drive to, uh, to serve holiday food baskets, a program which is still going on today. She created the district's August back to school event, and there's an active Richmond Beach Community Association volunteer. Many of those activities have continued, although she is now on the council. As a city council member, one of the things we can do is volunteer to serve on regional boards and committees, and Doris has stepped up and gone above and beyond the call of duty. Serving on the Regional Water Quality Community Committee, the Domestic Violence Initiative Task Force, and the Seashore Transportation Forum, which required her to do something I would never do, which is get up at 7 a.m for a regular meeting down here at City Hall. That's <laughs> not my gig either. <laughs> Nationally, she served on the board of the Asian Pacific American Municipal Officials Constituency Group, the Advisory Council, and the Transportation and Infrastructure Services Committee. She has also served on the National League of Cities Board. During her time on the council, Doris has been part of many of our significant accomplishments. Back in 2006, she helped pack, pass the first Parks Bond. Recently, she helped pass a, a renewal of that bond. Completed phases two and three of the Aurora Corridor Project, worked with Sound Transit and many other partners on making light rail a reality in Shoreline, partnered with the King County District Court to create Community Court and the Resource Center in Shoreline, and helped develop Shoreline's innovative radar program, now called RACER, which puts mental health practitioners in the field to respond to emergencies. She was also on council, along with most of us, when during the pandemic, we helped distribute relief funds to small businesses, provided grocery gift cards to families in need, and operated a number of other life-saving, in many cases, programs. I think it is fair to say that the shoreline of today is a very different shoreline than when Doris first joined the council, and she could and should take credit for many of those accomplishments. I want to speak just for a minute on, on sort of Doris's personal value to me. She's always the person I've turned to when I've wanted to hear the voice of the community that might not be showing up to council meetings. She is so well-connected, not only to her neighborhood, but to the city, and to so many different folks in so many different groups that I could count on her to say, yeah, you're hearing one thing, but here's what some other folks are saying. Here's what else you ought to take account of. As she puts it, 
most of her work also is not up on the dais, it's out in the community. On a regular basis, we would have very qualified candidates apply for some of our volunteer boards and commissions because Doris found them and recruited them and did the work to convince them, hopefully with honesty, how, how much work they were getting into and how they could help make the city a better place. I'm honored to have served with Doris through all of those iterations, and I'm sure she's going to remain a very active member of our community as she moves into retirement from the council. Doris, would you like to say anything? Sure. Thank you, Mayor, but Keith. Thank you. Um, yes, I was on that committee to get you in uh, Planning Commission and several other people. Um, now I can, the, the, some other stories can be told. I actually was a uh, co-chair for one of the props that uh, I, I uh, am very glad to say you'll never see my name on it because I think it needs to be uh, community driven. I also did convince other people to run in other places that were really important for the city. And uh, those accomplishments, even now, I just say in whispers because it really is about what I feel the community wants from all of us. And um, the 16 years have been uh, such a great learning experience. We're all different. We all come from many different um, neighborhoods and ways of uh, lifestyle and I, I can't let me let me I forgot I cannot say thank you to the staff enough um, I got one phone call from Nathan as I was trying to get back here from landing from New York City and he took the time out to call me uh, but but I know I've had many individual interactions with staff members and you are so lucky the city of shoreline to have all those uh, great people that uh, will continue long after we're all gone so thank you council member yeah. happy to present you with a plaque commemorating your service thank you yeah. thank you <laughs> Next up is approval of the agenda. Councilmember Povey has already requested that item 7C be pulled from the consent calendar, which uh, is the construction cr contract for 145th Street. That will now become action item 8A. Are there any other requested changes to the agenda? All right, seeing none, the modified agenda is approved unanimously. Next up is report of the city manager, Mr. Ellington. Yes. Good evening, Council. The Shoreline Farmers Market will hold a special harvest market event on Saturday, December 16th. Visit the market from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at their regular location on 192nd and Aurora to stock up on the winter produce, listen to live music, warm up with coffee, and shop for artisan-made gifts. For more information, visit shorelinefarmersmarket.org. The extended forecast doesn't show any sign of a snow or ice, um, but given that this is our last meeting for a while, I'd like to give some storm prep reminders as we head into the official start of the winter months. City staff are trained and ready to respond to any weather, winter weather, that may come our way, and we may want to make sure our residents are too. When snow falls, we focus on plowing primary routes to keep them clear for transit, commuters, and emergency vehicles. Only when snow stops falling, and primary routes are clear, we will start on secondary routes and then neighborhood streets. 
Please remember that it's the responsibility of the property owner to shovel their sidewalks, to see our plow routes and get tips on preparing for power outages, snowstorms, windstorms, and heavy rain, please visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash storm ready. All city facilities will be closed for the holidays on December 25th and January 1st. Richmond Highlands Recreation Center will also be closed on December 23rd. Facility closure information can be found on the city's website at shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar. The final meeting of the year will be the Planning Commission, who will meet on December 21st. Check the calendar, web calendar, as we get closer to that meeting for the agenda and meeting information. And we'll be back here for council on Monday, January 8th for our first meeting in 2024. And finally, from all of us at City Hall, I would like to wish everyone in the city of Shoreline a healthy, happy, and safe holiday season. And that concludes the city manager's report. Thank you, Mr. Ellingson. <laughs> Next up is council reports. Are there any council reports? Councilmember Mork. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I attended the regional water quality uh, meeting, and uh, the main topic there was uh, pushing to get the wastewater services plan updated from the city council. I also attended the Solid Waste Advisory Committee where they had a presentation about enforcement. And lastly, I, I was delighted to go to the Shoreline Historical Museum Mayawaki Forest event. It was really energizing to see so many people so interested in that project. Thank you, Mayor. Other council reports? Right at a couple things. I attended the Sound Cities Association annual meeting where we recognized a bunch of retiring council members. Just some significant change across the county in the composition of new city councils. I thank all the retiring council members and wish luck to the, all the incoming ones. I also attended the Milwaukee Forest and I'm hopeful that Shoreline can be inspired by that and do similar projects in our uh, existing parkland. Finally, the cold weather shelter is not yet operational, but it is, we're working with KCRHA to get it online. In the interim, shoreline officers are being, police officers are being provided with vouchers to let folks who are out in the streets during cold weather events get a hotel room for the night. The officers had previously been doing that out of their own pockets, and I wanted to thank them for that, and uh, hopefully this temporary measure won't be in place too long and we'll be able to get the permanent shelter stand, stood up. Next up is public comment. It's an opportunity for members of the public to address us on any item on the agenda or of city concern. We ask that uh, comments be limited to two minutes each, and we're gonna do the in-person folks who have signed up in advance first, then the remote folks who have signed up, and then at the end, I'll take anyone else in person who has not signed up. We have a number of people signed up in total. It will exceed our normal 30-minute uh, timeline. Deputy Mayor. I move that we uh, extend the public comment period to allow for everyone who's signed up. Second. Any opposition? All right, seeing none, everyone will get a chance to speak for two minutes. Ms. Simulchek-Smith, will you please administer the comment period? Yes, we have four people who are in person this evening signed up. If, after I call your name, if you would line up by the podium, that would be great. So, Joe Levin, Teresa Richards, Kurt Chamberlain, and Marilyn Yim. Uh, good evening, Council. Joe Levine, Shoreline. Uh, Thank you, and Doris, thank you for all your years of service, Council. Uh, I'd like to comment on 996 proposed ordinance for tenant protections. Uh, I've been an affordable housing provider in Shoreline for 20 years. 
Uh, I also have firsthand experience with this similar ordinance in Kenmore. We operate apartments there, affordable housing. When Kenmore passed a very similar ordinance a year and a half ago, I'm going to share some experiences with you for consideration and some suggested changes to the ordinance. Uh, the Social Security number is problematic. Restricting Social Security numbers we had a problem with. With crime on the increase, we had uh, there were crime rings we had, had to screen. Uh, we've had issues with drug rings, fentanyl. We've had issues with, uh, we had a kidnapper. The, the problem is, despite what you might hear, we cannot screen background checks and criminal checks without a Social Security number. It is not effective. We had an out-of-state out convict. We could not screen without that Social Security number. Furthermore, and it puts women and children at risk. Quite frankly, it scares me. You can't, the credit bureaus will not do credit checks without a Social Security number. That's just a fact. You can talk to the tenant screening companies. I ask you to please remove this from the ordinance. As far as caps on late fees, uh, we did research. A number, as you know, state of Washington is 10% cap. King County is 10% cap on late fees. City of Shoreline Wastewater is 10% cap. I can go on. Our mortgage payments are 10%. To ask landlords to be restricted to 1.5% or 3% is onerous and, quite frankly, singles us out. We can't make our payments if we don't get paid on time. We also ask you to remove that from the ordinance or at least put 10% on the ordinance. Uh, furthermore, we thank ask. You. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. My name is Teresa Richards. I'm speaking on agenda item 9A. I'm a designated representative for Black Brant LLC, which is the property owner at 16325 Fifth Avenue Northeast. Black Brant became a part of this community when it acquired the property in 2013. We leased our facility to a transportation subcontractor of King County Metro, and, our, and the city welcomed us into the community, advertising our tenants' presence and services, which provide transportation for the disabled and elderly residents of this community. Um, Black Brant is a joint venture between two Alaska Native corporations and it manages real estate investments and its purpose is to provide profits for the benefit of our shareholders, many of whom are impoverished. When the city heard that we had decided to put our property up for sale, they suddenly declared that our property was not in compliance with the code. While we don't believe the current proposed transit bus base regulations would apply to our site, we continue to be dismayed by the city's actions, including an enforcement action against Black Brant and the current moratorium on accepting permits for transit bus bases. These actions have directly caused us financial harm um, and that, that will likely continue if the city moves forward with the proposed development standards for major and minor fleet bases, as they are clearly intended to disallow the continued use on our property. We disagree that the city can legally require the current use to cease, but we would like to avoid the uncertainty and cost of litigation. A better approach that could satisfy all parties would be to modify the proposed regulations so that the current use could continue, but under specific <coughs> conditions applicable to, uh, acceptable to the city and metro. That would provide certainty to all parties about the outcome of this issue. To truly advance Council Goal 1, the council should delay any action on these amendments and direct staff to come back with a joint proposal that has the support of Black Brant, King County Metro, and city staff, and that will allow the existing paratransit use on our property 
to continue. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Good evening. My name is Kirk Chamberlain. I'm Assistant General Counsel for Corporate Governance and Litigation for Chilistic Corporation, which is <clears throat> one of the parent companies, parent partners for uh, Black Brand. Uh, Chilistic Corporation and Aleut Corporation are the two partners, and they're Alaska Native corporations created under the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Uh, and they're partnering in Black Brand, and they have a congressional mandate for to provide for the socioeconomic well-being of their combined 50,000 Alaska Native shareholders. These shareholders, all Alaska Native, are in the regions of Alaska, remote regions of Alaska that have the among the highest poverty rates in the nation and the highest cost of living in the nation. Um, our profits contribute significantly to the shareholders in form of dividends, elder benefits, scholarships, burial assistance, and advocacy. Um, to accomplish this mandate, we must be commercially successful and adaptive. Uh, the challenge we've encountered with our property and shoreline has, for all intents and purposes, frozen an asset and potentially devalued it, not to mention tying, up, tying us up in costly, time-consuming time litigation. Uh, we fundamentally disagree that the city can cease a use it legally permitted with full understanding of the facts. All evidence suggests that the city understood and authorized the extent, the existing use uh, by, by permit, and the use has not changed in the decades since it started operations. The city's current enforcement action, therefore, is a due process violation and exposes the city to liability. Instead of taking additional actions that could further financially harm Black Brant, the city should rethink its position. Staff should be directed to include Black Brant's site in the list of eligible properties for future major and minor fleet bases and work with Black Brant and Metro to devise development standards and a path for that's in the best interest of all parties. Um, thank you. Thank you. Good evening, Council. I'm Marilyn Yim. Uh, I just wanted to speak to the tenant protections that are going to be discussed tonight and uh, look ahead and learn from the experience that we've had of uh, meeting over the last several weeks. Um, I wanted to talk about it because you guys have mentioned that this is the, the beginning, uh, this isn't the end of it, and so I kind of wanted to look at what our relationship is going to be like in the future since I'm a small landlord and I own one rental property in the city of Shoreline. Um, I'd like us to really approach each other with good faith and assume that each other has good intent and work collaboratively, collaboratively with a problem-solving attitude. Um, we should be talking to, to people and not just about us. Please involve us, the people who are affected, involved in the policy making. Um, we're real people and we're right here. So I'd really like us to be involved um, in a very productive way and constructive way. Um, for instance, it would be nice to have a panel of subject matter experts for Q&A to learn about actual business practices and the impacts of policy. Um, I'd really encourage not just the council but city staff to avoid politically loaded and charged language. That gets back to good faith intent and know what problem that we're trying to solve and stay focused on that. Um, we should be curious, ask questions and investigate and perform due diligence and breakthrough jargon. Um, ask whether the proposal will solve the problem or will it have unintended and unwanted consequences, especially for smaller operators, for older residences, residents who are trying to offer their homes for rental housing. Just because other cities have passed a similar policy doesn't mean that Shoreline has to. Really, it's important to look at the results. What are the results? Has it resulted in more housing? Has it resulted in making housing more affordable? 
Um, I'm hoping that we can work together productively toward a city that keeps the pathways toward um, property ownership and especially rental property ownership available for regular people like me, um, BIPOC and immigrant folks like my husband, but making it all viable and welcoming for everyone. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Okay, so switching to online, we first have Carter Nelson. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, whenever you're ready. All right. Good evening, Mayor Scully and members of the council. Thank you for allowing me to speak tonight. My name is Carter Nelson, and I'm speaking on behalf of the Washington Multifamily Housing Association, otherwise known as WMFA. We represent over 328,000 rental units in the state, and our members own or manage over 3,800 units in Shoreline. We first wanted to extend our gratitude to the mayor and members of council who met with a few of our operators in Shoreline to hear their concerns with some of these proposals. We appreciate your time and willingness to discuss. We also wanted to thank staff for some of the proposed amendments tonight that offer more palatable alternatives to the originally proposed ordinance. While WUMFA as an organization doesn't support capping fees, we appreciate amendment number two in raising the proposed cap on late fees to 3% as opposed to one and a half. While this is still too low and not an equitable cap to the late fees housing providers face, we would like this amendment to be adopted if council passes a cap tonight. Although we find the entire liability section unnecessary, amendment number eight is a vital change regarding landlord liability to the original proposed right of private action and we'd, we would like to see it adopted if this section is passed by council tonight. We are in strong opposition to the alternative amendments number nine and 10 as they place all the risk on the housing provider and the wording of this section is still ambiguous. The Residential Landlord Tenant Act or the RLTA does an adequate job providing residents statewide protections. While we know the, this proposal is well-intentioned, a burdensome regulatory environment places increased risk and costs on the owners providing housing. Housing providers are already seeing their operating costs increase exponentially as insurance costs and other expenses continue to rise. We caution council considering adopting any protections as these additional regulations will disincentivize further investments in your city. The focus should be helping residents know what rights and protections they already have and working together to get and keep people in the community housed. Thank you. Thank you. Next is Paula Middleton. However, I do not see her in the list of attendees. Ms. Middleton, if you're here, please raise your hand. Okay, we're gonna go to St. Newton. Yes, unmute. Um, greetings, council members. Uh, I'm speaking in opposition of Ordinance 996. Um, there's some things in there that I think are truly troublesome. Um, I think that the effect of the private right of action, which are the eight, nine, and 10 amendments that uh, we were talking about a moment ago, with its draconian fees and court costs, it's gonna run mom and pop landlords out of the market. So those rental houses that everybody wants that are cheap, are just gonna disappear. They're gonna get sold to somebody who's gonna buy a house. And your rental stock is gonna be corporate landlords who charge much higher rents. Um, the other thing is marginal applicants will be directly impacted. Rational housing people, uh, providers, will raise their criteria, right? Because you're gonna make payments over six months because a late fee is next to nothing. Because, so as a landlord, what you do is you say, gosh, I wanna deal with people that won't be late. 
I want to deal with people that I don't care about the six months if they make payments because they'll make them. And so what we'll demand is higher credit scores, higher income to rent ratios, marginal people will get left out. They won't have a spot to sit in the musical chairs game. And so as a housing provider, part of my job is to run a background check so I can provide some safety, at least foster safety in, in my, in, so we get a driver's license, but then we get a credit check and those two names match. If I can't do that, I can't really know who the person is. And I really want to not rent to people that are dangerous and they're out there. And so I, the social security number thing is huge. Um, but I think the thing is, at least that bad is the private right of action. And I would ask you to please pull that out of the legislation. You're just setting housing providers up to get sued by attorneys. Um, thank you very much. Have a lovely night. Thank you. Okay, next is Daniel Bannon. And I see that he is logged in to Zoom twice. So I'm gonna go with the application, see if this works. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, whenever you're ready. Awesome, thank you. Hi, my name is Daniel Ban. I'm calling in on behalf of the Rental Housing Association of Washington and over 5,000 small housing providers across the state. And I'm here today to speak to the council and encourage them to listen to the voices of their small housing providers. You have people coming into the council tonight that are telling you what their experience has been dealing with these policies in other cities, how they've had to modify their business practices, how their costs have increased, how their ability to protect their tenants has been reduced. And I think it's important that the council listens to these voices and takes action based on the fact that they are listening and considering these voices. The Rental Housing Association appreciates that the council has been interested in discussing with them over the last couple of weeks to modify the proposed ordinance. And we encourage the council to make modifications to these ordinances with the amendments that have been proposed. But you're hearing the truth of these housing providers right now in their experiences. You're hearing how it has affected them in other cities. And it's important that based on the testimony that you've heard tonight from these housing providers, we make changes and we do what's right for the people in your city. Maintaining the safety of your residents and making sure the rental prices stay low should be of the utmost importance to the Shoreline City Council. And it would be unjust for the Shoreline City Council to not listen to the voices of its small housing providers tonight. Please take these stories into consideration. Please understand that these people are telling you what will happen in Shoreline. And please listen to the voices of your small housing providers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next is Bruce McClure. Yes, hello, can you hear me? Go ahead whenever you're ready. Good evening, council members. Thank you for letting me speak tonight. My name is Bruce McClure. I'm a property manager in Shoreline, Washington. I've been a property manager in Shoreline for over 20 years. I am the conduit between the tenant and the landlord, and I deal with many, many tenants, and I deal with multiple landlords and multiple properties. 
the and I'm in opposition of 996 and a lot of the things that you have in here, especially the social security number issue. I have a lot of single women living in my building with children and they need to know that the people living next door to them are not child pedophiles, uh, criminals. Um, they look to me to protect them. Um, also, the criteria that you're putting forth uh, in the past, I've been able to to talk to a land an owner and say, "Look, you know this person doesn't really quite meet our criteria. They're a little, you know, the credit score's a little low. They've had some problems, but I got a good feeling about this person, and I'd like to give them a chance. If you pass these laws, that's gone. It's, I mean, it, it, it'll be over. Uh, the landlords will will say no. Period. No, let it sit vacant. I don't care. They either meet my high cry my high score criteria, or they don't rent." And that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the tenants. It's not good for the people who need housing in Shoreline, Washington. And it's, it's not good for anybody. You, you've got to let us do what we do. Um, believe me, we want good tenants. You know, we want to help the people in Shoreline and we want to protect single uh, mothers with children. And these rules are, you know, and as far as late fees are concerned, I, I, I take care of properties outside of Shoreline that have gotten rid of the late fees and installed $10. And all it's done is created, you know, we're now we're just free payday loans, you know, because if I'm, if, if things get tough at the end of the month and I can't pay, well, I, 10 bucks only cost me not to pay the landlord. So I guess I'll borrow his money. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next is Artie Norsrati. Hi. Hi, my name is Ardi Nasrati with the Transit Riders Union. We're a community organization that has supported similar renter protections in similar jurisdictions. So thank you, Council, for moving forward with this discussion. I wanted to speak directly to some of the amendments that are being proposed. So one is Amendment 1. We strongly support passing Amendment 1C, uh, the one considering uh, to ban notice delivery fees. Thank you for considering our suggestion on that and the additional effort to require transparency and address some of the uh, kinds of rental junk fees. Amendment two, we oppose that amendment. Uh, other jurisdictions have cap late fees at 1.5% and Shoreline should at least match that standard that has been set. And this is mostly a comment for amendment three related to amendment three um, adjacent to it. So other jurisdictions have a less restrictive definition of move-in fees um, they have not excluded prepayment of last month's rent in there or the the things that have been categorized as optional rent in this legislation. So we urge the council to adopt a stronger version of that protection that, that mirrors what other jurisdictions have done. Otherwise, the total amount owed as a condition of moving may actually equal or exceed three months rent and uh, cause substantial hardships, even if installments are allowed. Uh, and amendment four, we oppose this amendment and we agree with the staff recommendation being basically that being rejected for housing for just not having the social security number can result in significant additional costs and even homelessness and $100 does not adequately discourage that act. And so we encourage you to reject that amendment. Um, and thank you again, council, for considering this legislation. We hope you pass a strong version of it. Thanks. Thank you. Rebecca Neer. Ms. Neer, you're muted. 
Okay, I'm going to come back to Ms. Nier at the end. Next is Sasha Soros. Hello, I'm here. Um, thank you very much for considering members of the public and residents. My name is Sasha Soros, and I am a member of the community um, here in Shoreline. And the ordinance of 996 gives me great concern. As a domestic violence survivor myself, I rely on my management and my landlord to do screenings of people with their social security um, to help provide us safety. I, I just don't understand not being able to do that. It would allow my next door neighbor to be a predator to my 15 year old daughter. And I just, that makes me very uneasy. And the building where I live, there are seven families that live here with young children. And we want to know that proper, we were properly screened. We want to make sure that everyone else who applies is properly screened. And we want to make sure that there's not going to be tenants that develop crime in our units. You know, drug trafficking, human trafficking, anything. Um, it puts everyone at risk. And in times where crime is so high and your car gets broken into overnight, you can't do anything and call the police, but file a police report online and maybe they'll do something about it. I wanna make sure that my next door neighbor is not an ax murderer or a pedophile or is selling drugs out of our building. And so that, that makes me really concerned. As for late fees, I mean, everything else is really 10%. One and a half to 3%, I understand for low income families that are like on section eight, that seems fair and reasonable for low income families, but if you can afford the 10%, why not pay the 10%? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, next is Kathleen Russell. Kathleen Russell, resident of Shoreline. Regarding North 145th phase one, Save Shoreline Trees, Shoreline Preservation Society and the Citizens Tree Group ask that the shoreline sidewalk segment along North 145th from Corliss to First Avenue be reduced to an eight foot width with a five foot amenity strip. The 13 foot wide or preferably less width sidewalk would then begin at First Avenue and continue east toward the light rail station. This adjustment will retain more of the trees from Corliss to just east of Sunnyside up to towns on 145th townhouses. The trees east of First Avenue have already been cut down for developments and trees east of Third Avenue will be cut down for the roundabouts, 183 trees. From Corliss to First Avenue is a two block length. None of the trees have been cut down along this short segment, though there are active staging sites at both Corliss and Sunnyside corner lots now owned by the city and we have immediate concerns about root damage to the standing trees. We ask city staff to provide information to the council if the majority of trees can be retained from Corliss to First Avenue, if an eight foot wide sidewalk, five foot wide amenity strip is installed. 
We ask that this update be a council agenda item to ensure the public may provide comment. This adjustment would mean a continuous eight foot wide sidewalk with five foot wide amenity strip along North 145th from Linden to First Avenue. Adjustments are being made on the Seattle side, a five foot wide sidewalk to retain trees, and we ask for similar accommodation. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Next is Nicole Garvin. I do not see her in the list of attendees. Nicole, if you're here, can you please raise your hand? Okay, we're gonna be moving along to Scott Lawrence. Can you hear me okay? Yes, please go ahead whenever you're ready. Okay, great, thanks. I wanted to comment on Ordinance 996. Uh, there were three provisions that I found myself um, against. The first one was social security requirement. Um, all of my tenants, I have a duplex. I'm retired and rely on the income from the duplex as well as social security to support myself. So it's an important item for me. I have five um, tenants in that two uh, suite building and they're all roommates. And the social security number is critical because it allows me to have a very transparent, fair system. When I evaluate applicants for rent, I uh, have a minimum credit score number and that's worked out really well. It's been a great system for both uh, the prospects and myself. And um, secondly, because the roommates are there, they are not privy to each other's financial condition, but they are under the lease required to, uh, they're obligated to pay the rent. So if we don't have a really clear, transparent system, then the roommates become at risk of each other. So really important to have that. Um, I would say the private right of action is pretty scary. <laughs> you know, as a retired person, I look at that and I think, I can't afford a four to five hundred dollar an hour attorney to support, you know, to um, counter false claims about any of the provisions under the lease. It's really um, draconian. I'm not sure it's why it's even there or necessary. And thirdly, late fees. I really think they need to be high enough to make a difference. Otherwise, you're really allowing the tenant to say, uh, "Gee, I don't want to pay the rent for a while, and maybe there's some other conditions that I don't want to abide by as well." Now, I will say in 10 years of being a landlord, I've never had to assess a late fee if tenants are a little bit late. I just let that go. If they're gonna be late for a while, then I will have a conversation and we'll work out a payment plan or we'll extend the payment for a while. So anyway, those are my comments. Thank you. Nancy Morris. Yes, can you hear me okay? Yes, go ahead whenever you're ready. All right, yes, Nancy Morris, Shoreline resident. We currently face continued global actions of total disregard to the climate crises at our current COP28 climate summit in Dubai that ends tomorrow. Truly disheartening. So what should we all be doing in this period of rapid climate change? We must continue to do what we can locally. What other choices do caring informed people have? One thing the city can do is listen to the best science on ways to mitigate the climate crises. We should be saving all the established mature, mature trees we can. And in addition to utilize the best planning and design for building and transportation projects in our warming city that honor our natural environment. We all know there is an urgent goal to reduce CO2 emissions and air pollution from all sources, which includes reduce 
car usage in the city. When particular transportation projects were planned several years ago, those in charge did not consider the importance of established trees and other natural living environments. Destroying the hundreds of our established trees and urban canopy throughout the city and along street right-of-ways does not exemplify the best city planning in the midst of climate crises. Better planning could have saved many of these trees slated for destruction. On the shoreline north 145th Street side, many people question the need for a 13-foot sidewalk when eight feet would likely suffice. And I'd like to end by saying I would like to thank Councilmember Doris for all your service over the years, and I wish you the very best in your future endeavors. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so last on the list is Gurma Bakelli. However, I do not see him in the list of attendees either. All right, was Mr. Blackwell a strike? He asked to be removed from the list. So right. now I do see that um, Rebecca was raising her hand. She's here, I can um, yeah. admit her to speak. Please, thank you. Ms. Neer, Hello. go ahead. Yes, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yes, go ahead. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, my name is Rebecca Neer and I have owned and operated a tenant and employment screening company in Washington State since 1995. Below is my opinion on why it is a mistake from the, for the city of Shoreline to take away the use of social security numbers from rental applications. I'm reading from a paper that I wrote earlier today. Uh, affordable housing. Taking away social security numbers will cost tenants more money. One, when a background check is processed, the number one thing that happens in the credit report, it, the number one thing that happens is the credit report is pulled. If the applicant has not provided a social security number on the rental application, the credit bureau will not provide a credit report. There are few exceptions. Number two, the credit bureau has now already one sweep of their database without a social security number for this applicant and credit data was not provided. However, since there is no credit found, the credit bureau now charges the tenant screening company for the attempted credit report. So what happens then is now a landlord is required a credit, needs a, uh, a credit history. And a landlord now needs to contact the applicant and remind them a history of credit is, re is required to be reviewed and a credit report is required to make a decision on financial history. Number two, an applicant now understands why the social security number is needed and pays an additional $25 to pull the credit report the second time. Applicant screening report now takes an additional day or longer to process and has cost more money. The credit report is attempted once again and usually retrieved. Safe housing with the social security number. Meet Mr. Nightmare. He's a registered sex offender in New York. He's raped a one-year-old in the first thank degree. Thank you. Thank, thank you. We needed a social security number to find that. Ma'am, your time is up. Thank you. All right. Is there anyone else in person who has not spoken who would like to speak? All right. Thank you. I'm going to close the public comment period. Next up is the consent calendar. Uh, missing uh, item 7C, which is now an action item. Deputy Mayor. I move approval of the amended consent calendar. Second that. Will the clerk please call the vote? 
Mayor Scully? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. Councilmember Mark? Aye. Councilmember McConnell? Aye. Councilmember Poby? Aye. Councilmember Roberts? Aye. All right, the consent calendar as amended passes unanimously. Next up is action item 8A, which is uh, authorization of the city manager to execute a construction contract related to 145th Street corridor. It looks like Ms. Junkie is going to present. And Mr. Now, apparently, and... Good evening. Uh, joining me tonight is Liz Kelly, our city engineer, and Corey Now, our capital project manager for the project. Uh, we have prepared a short presentation for you this evening, but we do are here primarily to answer your questions. Uh, before I turn this over to Corey for the presentation, I did want to make a couple of comments. Uh, tonight we're asking council to authorize the award of the construction contract for the interchange in phase one of the corridor. This project reached final design several months ago. It was advertised in mid-September, and we're excited to move forward towards construction in this regionally significant project. This project is in a precarious position right now with regards to budget and schedule. It's imperative that we move forward on this project quickly. Our goal is to award the contract by the end of the year and the contractor to begin mobilization at the end of January. This project includes a six-month closure of 145th in order for the contractor to do utility relocation and regrading. That closure is specifically timed to begin in the spring and to be completed by the end of sept by September-ish timeframe in order to align with the Linwood Link light rail operations and other capital projects in the area. <laughs> When we identified this closure, we identified that this had a potential savings, project savings, of one to two million dollars. Uh, delaying this project but jeopardizes that closure, uh, which jeopardizes the schedule and the budget. Uh, so it creates a lot of risk. We recognize and we appreciate the concern for the removal of the trees. When I was here back in September, I made a commitment that would be, we would be more transparent regarding tree impacts, and I will continue to honor that commitment. However, we also identified that there are capital projects in the pipeline uh, that had not shared a lot of information regarding tree removals. This is one of those projects. Subsequent to that discussion, we have worked to update the website and make access to the information easier and more transparent. For this project, we have included the information regarding uh, tree removals, and we did provide a current article explaining both the tree removals for this project, but also general information about tree removals on capital projects. I will continue to increase our transparency and inclusion on tree impacts during the design phase of this project, uh, but for this project, it is really difficult to go back and reassess these at this time. I also want to note that in the staff report, we identified that prior to award, we also needed Washington Department of Transportation's approval of the contractor's utilization of disadvantaged business enterprises in order to proceed with contract execution. And we did receive that concurrence of award today from WashDOT. So we're very excited uh, with this good news that with council's action tonight, we are ready to move forward with the award of this contract. And with that, I will turn it over to Corey now for a presentation before we answer your questions. All right, and I'd encourage you to make this fairly brief. We have a yes. full calendar, and this was a wrap. 
Okay, yes, thank you. I'll try and talk as quick as I can. I did want to highlight a few um, background pieces of information for this project, um, starting with the project history and the schedule moving forward. Um, one of the big questions or the big reasons we're performing this project is because there is a large amount of traffic currently on the uh, 145th corridor, and certainly that's expected to increase when the light rail station uh, is implemented, and also the sidewalks in the area are impassable. In fact, you can see a sign that's currently posted on the Seattle side that said is, says it is not usable by wheelchairs. Um, that's something we are fixing with this project. So it's incredibly important for the multimodal uh, transition of this corridor. Um, as far as the project schedule goes, I do want to um, highlight that this project started in 2015 with the corridor study and has been progressing both through the study and various stages of design and right-of-way acquisition until uh, today's date, December 2023. Um, during that time, we've had a series of um, outreach events, both open houses and uh, council updates um, over the various years, as well as you know many other actions and outreach methods we've used with uh, responding to citizens uh, along the way. Um, right now, we're in contract execution, uh, barreling towards uh, construction starting in late January of 2024, assuming um, you know, we receive authorization tonight. Um, I, to highlight again the funding, um, these pie charts are intended to show that these projects are expensive and it has required uh, a lot of work by city staff to compile um, all the funding sources. Uh, a big one on the corridor is uh, Connecting Washington. However, we have been soliciting many other partners, uh, both in utilities, uh, TIB, STP, and CMAC. And then on the interchange project, it's even more spread out. Um, we are using Sound Transit. We've been able to partner with them, other utilities, STP. Um, with the bid that came in from Johansson, we are um, a hair short on our the funding of sectors that we have right now. Um, and so we're uh, looking for a general fund contribution to close that funding gap. Um, and then just to touch briefly on the trees that are impacted, um, we are, uh, there's a table up here for, that splits the trees removed between the corridor phase one and the interchange. Um, there's 135 trees, uh, existing trees that are being removed for corridor phase one and 183 for the interchange. Uh, the reason we have identified that these trees need to be removed is because um, like you saw with the sidewalk on the Seattle side, uh, we, we just need to expand a little bit more. There's a little more space we need and unfortunately that impacts trees. And then on the north side, as we're expanding the sidewalk, we actually encounter a grade break. So we're having to fill a lot of dirt in that area in order to, um, build out the extra lane we need, center lane, to improve traffic, and then also increase to a 13-foot sidewalk from first to I-5. Um, so that's just a lot more length and width we need, and you know, we're kind of chasing a downhill path there. So um, that's, that's one of the big reasons. Uh, another thing I want to note is that the 13-foot sidewalk is, was an, a critical element in receiving funding for this project. Uh, 13 feet allows us to remove uh, bicycles from the roadway uh, and put them on a shared use path. Um, and, and certainly with the uh, expected volume of pedestrians that will come through here, that was a critical element. That was a promise we made to our funding partners. So 13 feet is uh, very critical to the project. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to highlight here was how many trees we're planting with these projects. Uh, in corridor phase one, we are planting 58 trees uh, in in the corridor section, and then 836 trees with the interchange. Um, I did want to highlight one note is that there's not 
836 trees worth of space on the interchange project. So we're utilizing the space underneath the elevated uh, railway to plant large shrubs, which will uh, perform like trees as far as the climate impact. And then one last thing, I I'm gonna go back one slide, I forgot I to. Okay, we don't need every detail. Oh, oh yeah. can I, can I? Yeah, go I, ahead, I, but this is, we've been looking at this since 2015, so we don't need to walk through every. Okay, the, the one thing I just wanted to note on the trees removed um, is that that is every tree removed. There is a question um, about, you know, what size we counted for trees removed. And when we talk about these numbers, that is every tree regardless of size. Okay, thank you. Yeah. This is an action item. Is there an opening motion? I move to make a motion for the approval of the discussed subject. Fair enough. Um, is there a second? Second. Is that adequate, that motion, Ms. Hamilton-Smith? Um, yes. So do you want to make a motion for approving for approval, the yes. item as listed on the agenda? As listed on the okay. agenda. Thank you. Thank you. Would you like to speak to your motion? Absolutely. Thank you, Mayor. First of all, it's not just about trees, but I am very surprised. Last September, I revisited my notes, and we had promised the public transparency. From 2015 to 2023 is eight years. I look back to the notes, and we have completed the design phase. And we knew this was coming up. And didn't make it known to the public, even me. I was surprised when I saw it. So, okay, this is huge, it's a huge project. We've been talking about it, all right, but it's coming, and people have to know. Secondly, change orders, when the contract is passed, change orders becomes difficult and it's expensive. And I'm glad that in the presentation, budget was talked about. Well, if the budget is gonna be impacted, then I think about the environment. How about our environment? Is it gonna be impacted in any way? I believe so. How has the passing of the climate action plan been included in the execution of this project? Yes, it's been planned years back, but things have changed. And so how are we including that as we move forward? Do we say, well, this is how we plan it, and it has to be done this way, whether we like it or not? I'll pause on this and take feedback. Maybe other council members have questions. Thank you. I'll take, a, I'll take a stab at that answer. So I think the question that I heard you ask was, in light of the Climate Action Plan, what did we make revisions to this design associated with that? Um, and I would say specifically at the time the Climate Action Plan was adopted, which was last December, uh, we have not gone through and made significant changes to this plan as a result of the Climate Action Plan. Again, this project is really focused on one of the strategies in the Climate Action Plan is about reducing greenhouse gases through mode shift and through reducing vehicles. And so this project really is focused on that multimodality and about uh, you know, improved safety. And so we're really, this project meets the Climate Action Plan objectives through that mode shift and providing safer place for bikes and pedestrians uh, to be able to get out of their cars. Did that answer your question? It, it, it did on that aspect. And then what was the other aspect? The other aspect has to do with budget impact and environmental impact, if we compare that. Specifically talking about trees. We are saying 13 is what we need, and so we have to do it in a way. And it doesn't really sit well with me as an analytical person. I look at, okay, what's the best option to satisfy both? So if you say we want to go with 13 feet because that's what we need, and now think about our environment. Well, we want people to walk, is my understanding. We don't want people to walk in the sun, 
scorching sun or walk with nothing out there. So that's what I'm just surprised at. And so that's. Yeah, so the 13 feet, so this project does have the amenity zone where we are replanting trees. And so we are creating some opportunity to plant additional trees, not to the same extent of what's being removed along the corridor. Uh, but that 13 feet is also designed, again, so that we can remove bikes from the roadway, especially with the speed and the volume on the roadway. So the 13 feet is a shared use path to provide space for both pedestrians and bicyclists. We did not do an evaluation or some sort of a financial analysis comparing uh, the environmental costs of tree removal versus the benefits of a 13-foot sidewalk versus, say, an 8-foot sidewalk or a 5-foot sidewalk. Thank you, ma'am. Other questions or comments? Definitely, ma'am. Ooh, my mic's been on. Um, I hope we support this as a council. And I realize that we've got some new members, including myself, um, who have not had a chance to really weigh in on this since it started in 2015. Um, but this is how projects of this size and scale work. And I just want to call back. Remember how frustrated we were as a council, as a body, when Seattle City Light was suggesting that they weren't going to have the power done in time. This is not a shoreline project. This is a regional project that impacts sound transit, the development projects that are underway, commuters, all the things. There are so many impacts here. There are millions and millions of dollars that are threatened by us not proceeding tonight and potentially stalling the project altogether. A short delay would not be a short delay. It would be a massive reconsideration of this project that we that would stall it, potentially killing the project forever. Um, we would be sacrificing the safety of commuters, walkers, bikers, all of those things if this weren't to get done. Um, it is far too important for us to move forward right now. And I think I've heard, thank you for the explanation, very, very loud and clear. Uh, future projects, when from the outset, based on public outcry, based on the will of this council, will move forward absolutely with consideration of tree preservation. I have no doubt of that. Uh, this one, I hope we recognize the train has left the station. Thanks. Other comments? You or Councilor Roberts? Oh, you know, I didn't see. Sorry, please go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, Councilor uh, And thank you, um, Councilmember Roberts for uh, waiting for me. Um, so my first question actually is to the <coughs> council member who pulled this because I think because it's been going on since 2015, there is so much history. And thank you for reminding us the urgency of this, the grants and, all, and everything that we have done to get to this point, I am not going to pull this project. I am not going to, to um, delay it. This has been a long time coming. And uh, anybody going on 145th, those trees are, have been there a long time. But I think a beautiful row of trees that will take, a, of course, some time to grow uh, with a w wide enough sidewalk where we are going to take um, people off the roads to, um, onto bikes to get to light rail. These are all win-wins for me for uh, years of discussions that we've had. And uh, the, yes, uh, 
Thank you, um, Deputy Mayor. The train has left the station, and we cannot we cannot delay this. We cannot. We're going to lose the funding. We're going to lose uh, time. Uh, so. I, I do know we have a few new people, but I'm just letting everyone know that this, uh, you know, sometimes these large projects, this is a regional project, and we are part of a large regional project that must, uh, must benefit, it, it will benefit the future of this um, region, our children, our grandchildren, et cetera, and, and the growing pains are definitely painful, but I can see the benefits far outweigh it. So thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Councilmember Roberts. Thank you. I will say that I appreciate the staff's responses to many of the questions that have been asked by, by the council and the work that has been done to in for future projects i think this project really illustrates the trade-offs that are going to be necessary and that we have to think about as we move forward with these bigger projects with any project um but i think especially with some of our these big big projects um and as councilmember mcconnell said uh, these re regional projects we have to be, I think we have to, moving forward, we need to be clear about what our priorities are. We need to be clear, is it is our priority, our priority must be with these road infrastructure projects, must be safety, safety for all users. I think that needs to be first in any kind of project. And then we need to go to a whole lot of secondary priorities in terms, and one of those big secondary priorities must be preservation of our trees we need to have a we cannot have we can't afford any more heat islands we can't afford any and so we need to be really upfront from the beginning of these projects when we think about the relationship of our built environment and our natural environment of how can we protect especially some of the magnificent uh, trees that we have in along our right-of-ways and so for me, because we need to protect all users first, some of the considerations that we've traditionally made around additional vehicle capacity need to be deprioritized. Because if we're going to elevate protection of the environment, other things need to be to be less significant. So one of the so when we think about future projects, why is a center? Why are we adding a full center turn lane uh, as a, sort of as an example? Um, so we need to be very intentional about what and why we're doing things. We can't just, as a council, I do not think we can just sort of let projects just get developed. But we need to really sort of weigh in early on about what our priorities are for big, for these projects and how do we achieve our community's vision. And our community's vision is not necessarily going to be, let's see how, let's, what's gonna be the level of service at our intersections. So with those reservations, I'm going to be supporting this motion. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mayor. Th thank you. Uh, other comments? Anyone, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you, but yeah. 
right, I, I just want to add a couple things. So 2015 is when I started on council. So I, I remember this, the entire evolution of this, and there were plenty of opportunities for public comment, and we received a lot of public comment. But continuous improvement, what we learned on other projects recently is folks telling us we didn't know how many trees were coming down. And so what we've started doing is putting that front and center. That's always been available, but we haven't necessarily been leading with that. That's an improvement we need to make, but the idea that there wasn't public comment or that we didn't reach out, that, that, that's inaccurate. We, we absolutely did. Um, everything else I would want to say has pretty much been said, both in terms of our not trying to micromanage things at the 11th hour and in terms of the broader point of this. The point of this is environmental. The point of this is to save trees in areas other than shoreline. So we can build affordable, dense housing here. Doesn't have to build it somewhere that's currently forested or farmland. Um, finally, what we're doing moving forward, we had a meeting right preceding this on council operations. And one of the things we're gonna be discussing at our annual retreat is exactly what council member Roberts mentioned, which is where the priorities are set. Because sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle of a billion priorities and we end up with a project that deprioritizes trees. And I think we as a council are ready to say, let's start prioritizing them, both preservation and adding them in. Um, but as of now, I, I think we're all gonna be you know, fairly united that this project needs to move forward. And if this is the project we would have designed, had we picked it up starting today, I don't know. But it is a project that has been designed over the last eight years and I, for one, am, am ready to, to see it get started. Thank you, Mayor. I'm surprised a little bit that my colleagues didn't hear my point. I'm not asking for the delay of the project. As a budget analyst, it will be unwise for me to even make that recommendation. What I said is you don't buy a computer in 2015 and use it in 2023 without a firmware update. What I'm asking is a firmware update for the project. Thank you. Anything further? Will the clerk please call the vote? Mayor Scully. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. Councilmember Mark. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. All right, thank you. The motion passes unanimously. Next up is action item 8B, which is action on ordinance number 996, establishing a new chapter regarding tenant protections. Ms. Wolbeck done. You're presenting. Great. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Again, I'm Bethany Wahlberg Dunn, the city's community services manager, and I'm here today. Uh, to talk about the possible adoption of tenant protections, which is ordinance uh, number 996. And I just have a few uh, introductory slides uh, before we get to uh, our recommendation. Okay, there we go. As a brief background, uh, again, the Washington State Residential Landlord Tenant Act provides basic tenant protections uh, to shoreline residents. On June 22, 2022, Council reviewed general tenant protection information. And on March 10th, during your strategic retreat, you held a second discussion. 
And then the following council meetings, uh, extensive uh, public comment and council discussion was held on November 20th and December 4th. I will not read through these, but the proposed ordinance 996 is still presented, or is still listed as originally presented on November 20th with the following uh, proposed tenant protections. And again, staff's recommendation is to uh, vote to adopt uh, ordinance 996, which establishes a new chapter uh, regarding residential tenant protections. All right, this is an action item, so we usually start with a main motion followed by amendments. Is there a main motion? I move to adopt ordinance number 996, establishing the new chapter, chapter 9.35 of the Shoreline Municipal Code regarding residential tenant protections. Second. All right, motion and second. Councilmember Povey, would you like to speak to your motion? Thank you, Mayor. It's in the best interest of both landlords and tenants that we pass this. Thank you. Thank you. Other comments or amendments? Councilmember Moore. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. So I would like to move uh, to extend Exhibit A to proposed ordinance number 996 to add a new section, SMC 9.35.065. Additional fees as shown in the staff report as amendment number 1C. And, and just, just so all of us look at the right thing, what, what motion number is this? 1C. 1C, okay, thank you. Second. Motion and a second. Would you like to speak to your motion to amend? Uh, I think that the staff has, when we learned about the notice fees, I think some of us were not aware that they were happening, and staff has made an effort to uh, get rid of some of these fees that are not obvious, and that's what this motion is. Any other questions or comments on the motion to amend only? Councilor Roberts, is your hand up for that, or? It is, yes. Oh, please. I'll just say, I think that putting and having fees in the lease is, helps with transparency for both renters and, uh, or tenants and landlord, that everyone knows from the beginning what kind of fees are a landlord may charge and the rate of those fees. I think that uh, everyone benefits from that transparency. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Any other comments? Will the clerk please call the mo Did you have a comment, Councilmember? No. no. Okay. All right. Will the clerk please call the vote on the motion to amend? Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Mork. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Povey. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Mayor Scully. Aye. The motion to amend passes unanimously. Is there, are there other motions? Uh, thank you. This is a mandatory motion number two. I move to amend Exhibit A to proposed ordinance number 996 to amend section MSC, SMC 9.35058 to change the maximum amount of late fees from 1.5% to 3% of the monthly rent. Second. Would you like to speak to your motion? Uh, yes. I think that uh, as has been mentioned by many of our commenters, it's really important that the tenants are incentivized to pay on time. And I'm concerned that one and a half percent is 
too small to uh, affect that. Uh, I appreciate that uh, they requested a 10% um, rent increase. This is 3% for a $2,000 rent is about 60 bucks. So it's not huge, but it's hopefully enough to have people remember to pay the rent on time. Thank you. Other comments on the proposed amendment? Councilmember McConnell. Um, I too will be supporting this. I actually would have supported 5%. Um, having been a landlord for 30, 40 years, it, I've, I've hardly ever had to use the, the, rent, uh, the late fee option, but it is an incentive to prioritize. And for 3%, we're talking still $60 or, you know, under 100. So uh, I, I think it's a good compromise because we have heard from landlords and, uh, and, and we're trying. We're, tr we're trying to um, set a balance. So thank you very much. Councilmember Pogli. Thank you, Mayor. On December 4th, Deputy Mayor asked a question, and I kept thinking about it all week. She asked, what are we doing in addressing homelessness? And then we get an amendment that says, let's get people to the street by increasing 1.5 to 3% of the monthly rent fees, whatever. That's, that's reverse for, for, for me, if you, if you look at it. And so I definitely would not be supporting this. Other comments? All right, I'll be voting no on this as well. And from my perspective, if you're a landlord, the difference between 1.5 and 3%, assuming you're adequately capitalized, shouldn't make much of a difference. But if you're making $15 an hour, a $60 thing, a $60 penalty is four hours of work. And weighing the impact on a tenant versus the impact on a versus the benefit to a landlord, I, I'm just not seeing how this is a tremendous benefit for landlords. And I am seeing how this could really harm a tenant. So I'll be voting no. Any other comments? Will the clerk please call the vote on the motion to amend? Mayor Scully. No. Councilmember Ramsdale. Nay. Councilmember Mork. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Povey. Nay. Councilmember Roberts. No. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Nay. All right, the motion fails with two yeas and five nays. Is there another motion? Yeah, Councilman Roberts, sorry. Uh, thank you. I'm going to jump to um, Amendments 9 and 10. And I'd like to, to um, uh, move adoption of Council Amendment 9, which shall change shall to May and up, uh, change the landlord liability violation to up to three times rent. Is there a second? I second that. Would like to speak to your motion, Councilmember? Yes, um, one of the things, there's a few things along this section um, that we've, I think many people have talked about, and I know there may be another amendment that would strike this entire section, but the, one of the things in here is that the way that the ordinance is set up is that any violation would be either double, greater the double of two, the tenant's economic or non-economic damages or three times the monthly base rent, a judge um, would not have any kind of ability to 
make a different determination. So a minor technical violation would have the same penalty as a, a cons consistent or uh, very flagrant violation of this ordinance. And so because uh, all, all types of violations are treated the same, uh, by giving a judge that ability to determine the severity of the violation and um, hold the landlord accountable for the severity of that violation, I think is very appropriate uh, as we craft this ordinance. Thank you, Mayor. Other comments? Councilor McConnell. Hmm? Oh, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be supporting this only because I have heard from, uh, we've heard from everybody who's in the landlording um, portion of this um, issue that they really feel that this is uh, not a, uh, not something that they would support if they could vote for it. And I, I too am not going to be supporting. I, I just think that it is going to open up a lot of litigation that's unnecessary and puts a strain on the, the system. And again, the goal is for homelessness or for stable housing, uh, these things will drive small landlords out of business and it will only uh, leave the larger ones who have 100 units etc and they're ne never going to be as flexible as all the people i've talked to that um, you know we we're, we talk and and ask for uh, how people handle things and we handle things a lot in a gray area that is actually a win-win um, and, and it's not to say it's not, I mean, it's really like we, we, we get on the phone, we actually call the tenant and say, is there an issue of financial concern that we can work through so that you get out with the least damage? And I have returned security deposits that I didn't have to because it is a win-win for me when somebody wants to vacate and nobody is bitter about it. So um, thank you very much. Councilmember Ramsdell. Thank you, Mayor. Um, um, I, I've got a little bit of a question here. I mean, I'm gonna be supporting the Amendment 9. I'm wondering if Amendment 10, does that in any way, if both are passed, are they, do they, are they uh, complementary if both are passed? Or does one amendment kind of uh, cancel out the other, or if there's going to be any kind of conflict between the two amendments. And, and are we voting on both amendments right now, or, or are we voting on one at a time? I thought I heard Councilmember Roberts combine those two mm -hmm. amendments together to be the may be liable for up to. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that's accurate. The motion combined the language of nine and ten. Is that right, Councilmember? Okay, yeah. uh, thank thank you. I, I will be supporting it. Um, I, I do. I did not like. Uh, the wording with shall uh, because I do f feel that the court should have some flexibility in in setting financial liability. I just uh, I just think there's going to be some tenant uh, at landlord violations are going to be more severe than others, and I and I feel that this will allow the courts to the, the court to have some discretion uh, regarding the 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 severity of the of the violation and and uh, what kind of financial penalty would be uh, associated with that penalty. So thank you. Further comments, Councilmember Mark. Uh, thank you. I just have a clarifying question. Uh, the city of Kenmore uh, has language like this. 
is that being adjudicated at this time or am, I'm, I'm not understanding? Regarding the specific amendatory motion or? For the, for the this, this private right of action. They do have private right of action, I believe, and, yes. And are they, I thought they were in court. I thought there was. I will have to refer to Julie on that. There was a, an action filed in court against the city of Kenmore. Um, it's more of a all comprehensive in the regards to the constitutionality of it, as opposed to any finite position position on some of the, the points of it. Uh, in your opinion, does this motion? Is the way Shoreline is approaching it uh, going to put us in the same position as Kenmore? Okay, and unfortunately, since we've had executive sessions, I'm, I'm not sure you can answer that yes. in a public forum. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Further comments? All right. I'm in favor of this, and I actually I interpret it differently than Councilmember McConnell does. We've had a lot of objections to the fact of a private right of action. What this amendment does is it's a softer landing for landlords. This makes it easier for landlords because it lessens the potential penalties. In my view, if you've got shall be liable and three times the rent, any violation, that's the penalty. So if your rent's $2,000 and you're a day before the timeline to provide a notice of rent increase, then you owe that tenant $6,000 and there's nothing a judge can do about it. This makes it discretionary and lets a judge say, hey, this is really minor. So fine, you can't do that, but your damages are a dollar. I mean, this, this, lets, this lets the nominal cases receive nominal penalties. And in 25 years of legal practice, this is abuse. These kind of provisions are abuse, um, particularly if the damages are high. You do get lawyers coming out of the woodwork. If there's a potential that you're only going to get basically what the violation cost, then you don't get that. So for me, this is pretty essential. I think ideally we would enforce this as a city rather than having a private right of action, but we're just not ready for that. We're not set up for that. We don't have the infrastructure of the penalty provisions. So I'm supportive of this because unlike the last one, in my view, this advantages landlords in a way that means, makes a big difference. It doesn't disadvantage tenants, but instead makes it um, possible to enforce the law without having a windfall from doing so. Council Member. Um, thank you. Having heard all the comments thus far and knowing that this will not be, uh, I will not be able to strike this out. I do, I do agree with you that this is a gentler um, uh, provision. So I will be supporting it, knowing that. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments? Will the clerk please call the vote on the amendment only? Yes, if I might read this amendment back into the record. So this is to amend Exhibit A to state that a landlord may be liable up to three times the monthly base rent. Okay. Council Member Ramsdale. Aye. Council Member Mork. Aye. Council Member McConnell. Aye. Mayor Scully. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Council Member Poby. Aye. Council Member Roberts. Aye. The motion to amend passes unanimously. Are there further motions to amend? And Mary, Mayor, may I clarify what the clerk just said? This was both the may be liable and up to three times. Yeah, that's right. Did you read it back differently? No. Did I? Yes. Yes, what it does I? include both. Okay. All right. I, I apologize. I didn't catch that. Thank you for catching that, Councilmember Roberts. Um, I think we need to vote again. 
let's just let's just read it out accurately and vote again. Just I think I think we all understood, but I, I just want to make sure we have a clean record. <clears throat> I know. So in in full of the whole provision in full for subsection B of 9.35090, it would be a landlord found in violation of any of the provisions in this chapter, unless otherwise provided in this chapter, may be liable to such a tenant for the greater of double the tenant's economic and non-economic damages or up to three times the monthly base rent of the dwelling unit at issue and reasonable litigation costs and attorney's fees. Thank you. Will the clerk please call the vote? Mayor Scully. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember Mark. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. All right. The motion to amend passes unanimously. Are there other motions to amend? Councilmember Mark. Uh, this is amendatory in motion number six. I move to extend exhibit A to rent increase, uh, the 60 day notice period for increases of 3% or less is the guts. Is there a second? We're waiting for the second. All right. <laughs> Apparently not. There we go. All right, seeing no second, the motion fails for lack of a second. Are there other motions to amend? Councilman Roberts. Thank you, Mayor. I move uh, adoption of Council Amendment Number Seven. And this is relating to security deposits. Is there a second? Second. Right. Councilman Roberts. Uh, thank you. This clarifies what uh, this. I believe this amendment is really to, relatively clear, clarifying what is and what is not included in a. Uh, security deposit and specifically it's not it would be, um, say that any optional any security for performance of tenants of obligations in relation to optional rent would not be included in security deposit and this would be when we talked about this in the pre in previous discussions this was about pet rents and security deposits for pets any other comments no, I, I'm supporting this. This was actually a comment from council member, or for, sorry, former council member Chang, who said that she thought there would be confusion amongst landlords as to whether they could charge a, a pet deposit fee. So this clarifies that the optional rent, which is things like paying extra rent for pets, um, you can charge more as a security deposit for that. So I, I am supportive of this because I think it clarifies what our original intent was. Any other comments? Will the clerk please call a vote on the amendment? Councilmember Poby? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Mayor Scully? Aye. Councilmember Mark? Aye. Councilmember McConnell? Aye. Councilmember Roberts? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. All right, the motion to amend passes unanimously. Are there other motions to amend? Councilmember Roberts? I move uh, adoption of Council Amendment Number Three regarding pet fees, deposits, pet, fee, pet fees, deposit, and fees not included in moving fees. Fair second. Yeah, good. All right, would you like to discuss your motion, Council Member? Really quick, though, this is very similar to the previous motion around uh, 
just being clarifying what is and what is not included in the movement fee, specifically regarding round pets. Any other comments? Will the clerk please call the vote on the amendment? Yes. Mayor Scully. Aye. Councilmember Mork. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. The motion to amend passes unanimously. Are there other motions to amend? All right. Uh, would anyone like to speak further on the motion? Uh, Councilmember Roberts. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I will be supporting this motion as it's amended. Uh, this has been, I will say that this has been one of the most difficult uh, policy discussions we've had, largely because we recognize, or at least I recognize, that there are many, potentially many unintended consequences that we just mean, I don't think we have the knowledge of what those consequences might be. We've heard from many people speaking at the dais about how they may have, people may have to raise their standards for who they rent to. I, I think that's a concern that we need to uh, take into account as, we, as this policy moves forward. One of the things that many of us heard at the National League of Cities General uh, City Summit this past week is, or this past month, time has flown, <laughs> is that uh, our income of uh, the new president describes cities as laboratories of democracy, and that we have the, we have the privilege and honor of working with our communities and developing policies that work best for our communities. And what may work in Shoreline may not work in Kenmore or may not work in Lake Forest Park or any other city across Washington State or even across the nation. So we get to experiment and we get to try to figure out what works best for our communities. And the, But the flip side of that is we need good data to come from this. To understand if this and to what degree this ordinance is effective, we need to have good data about how what is happening on the ground once this is implemented. It'd be nice to know how many uh, times people bring uh, a landlord to court under this. We'd like to know are landlords actually raising their standards if as this ordinance is being passed. Uh, how does this affect individuals who may be renting a room to? Uh, in, in their house, I mean, much not even a sort of a separate unit. So there's some things I'd like to see as we move forward with this ordinance. Uh, I, I really like, I echo what the mayor said earlier about the concerns around the private right to action. I, I do agree with that. And one of the things that King County has, but I don't think is, was funded partially through uh, some of their COVID funds was dispute re mediation dispute resolution for landlord and tenants. So instead of landlords um, or renters and tenants taking their landlord to court, are there other processes to actually resolve the dispute that is more accessible to everyone uh, because there are limitations on who has access and who's able to go to court. Um, so I would have liked to see that. I also think that we really need a rental registration program. We don't have to necessarily think about what the inspection or an inspection piece might look like as other cities have. But we need to, I think we as a city, we need to know who is renting in the city, who are the landlords. And 
what is happening on the grid, what's happening with them. So I will be supporting this. I think there's definitely work that we need to continue to, that we need to do in the future to improve this ordinance. But I think that at this time, because the state has not taken action to provide more protections to tenants, who have many of whom have seen uh, double-digit increases in their rent with very little uh, time uh, to find a new place. And especially in a housing market where rents are, where so many people are cost burdened in finding a place to live, this ordinance I think goes a, does and help, will help people who are living in the city. Thank you, Mayor. Any other comments on the motion as amended? Uh, Councilmember Mork and then Deputy Mayor. Uh, I really appreciate what Councilmember Roberts said. I, I think that data is really important. I think that um, while cities are uh, crucibles of democracy, and I, I think that's a wonderful thing, I think it's important for us to know the impact of our actions and the uh, potentially unintended impact of our actions. So I, I really support what Councilmember Roberts said about uh, getting registration ultimately and just ways to follow up on it. I also um, second the opinion that he said that uh, the reason that we're talking about this is, is that there has been large rent increases with too short a time. And uh, that's why this is being, this is important and appreciate the city doing that. Thank you. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Uh, yeah, Council Member Roberts gave a really excellent summary. Thank you for all of those sharing all your feelings. Um, and Council Member Mork, thank you. I wanted to thank Mr. Levine, or was it Levine? Levine, I thought, and, um, and Ms. Yim for being here at every single, all three meetings where we had public comment and discussed this and all the community members who weighed in. Um, it was suggested tonight that this was just the start that's not how I feel. I feel like this, I'm really good. Uh, I feel like the amendments that were proposed tonight has actually made this ordinance better, um, stronger, and more closely aligned with the goals that we were hoping for at the outset of this journey. Um, and I really hope you, you described your involvement and wanting to be involved. I really hope that we continue to be engaged in a dialogue. And as my other council members have said, we do want real time information about the impacts of this so that we can adjust as we as we move forward, listen, absorb and adjust. I also mentioned, you know, uh, several meetings ago that my motivation is, you know, pulling one of the levers. It's not the only one, but one of the levers that we can pull to address the homeless crisis, homelessness crisis in our region. Um, we have to stem the tide of people who are becoming unhoused. Um, that doesn't mean at all costs, and that doesn't you know, mean at the, at the absolute cost and detriment of landlords, um, but I, I'm happy to see what I believe is the council moving forward uh, with this ordinance. Thank you. Councilmember McConnell. Um, thank you. Although I did support many of these amendments, I cannot support the final ordinance. People, people have not mentioned what, anything except 
me the two to three years during the pandemic where landlords willingly, uh, legally, had to not evict, but also not to uh, raise rents, et cetera. I was holding my breath that I would not be one of those landlords who, um, and, and heard too many stories of people just not paying their rent. Some people who actually could afford to, but didn't. Now, again, you know, these are all these little stories, and uh, I collectively have the experience to know that one story does not make a law, you know, for me. So we didn't hear a whole lot of data, or maybe not at all, about really the the flavor of the evictions that are out there. Are they all people who couldn't pay and they're being evicted by their landlords, or is it a culmination of landlords finally having some legal recourse after the lifting of the moratorium? You know, I'm just putting out all these questions out into the public because I I provide the, the small houses I have is affordable housing. They're older homes. I stay within the range and fix them up when I can. Uh, they're not slumlord type things, but, but I am actually very grateful that I'm at the end of doing this because uh, there's just so much uh, uncertainty out there for people who actually want to make a living but do the right thing, you know, to, to help with, with uh, the situation. Uh, so affordable housing, like I said many meetings ago, it's not about really this level. It's about people having good wages, people having decent access to jobs. Uh, you know, the top 10% make, you know, bring in more money than the rest of us. I mean, what a crying shame. So um, again, thank you for, for my colleagues for making amendments, trying to listen to the um, both sides. But I still don't, I, I, I believe that that in the next few years, we will find out that this is actually not going to be doing what we hoped it would do. So I won't be supporting it. Any other comments on the motion as amended? Will the clerk please call the vote on the motion as amended? Councilmember Mork. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Nay. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. Mayor Scully. Aye. Councilmember Ram Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. All right, the motion is amended, passes uh, six to one. Next up on the agenda is uh, action item now 8C, which is action on ordinance number 997, amending title 20 of the Shoreline Municipal Code. And I believe Ms. Walters will be presenting. I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> Good evening. Um, I am pleased to be here this evening to 
um, provide an overview of the transportation concurrency update ordinance as well as a potential amendment. And Goes up and down, right? Um, I'll just do it this way. Okay, all right. Um, in review, this is uh, the second presentation that we have provided to council on the concurrence update. Uh, last year, we provided an, the overview of the multimodal concurrency approach as part of the transportation element which was adopted. I went to planning commission earlier this year. Uh, we had an ordinance discussing the proposed language changes, uh, which we will be providing an overview tonight for action. Um, the, as indicated in the staff report, the ordinance adjusts the concurrency program from a vehicular-based level of service to multimodal um, and adopts the Shoreline Municipal Code Chapter 20 amendments consistent with the transportation element with an effective date of March of 2024 to provide for training. And uh, during the last council presentation, it was identified or requested an amendment to the proposed ordinance, which staff concurs with to provide some more clarity about the intent of the ordinance. If council members would like to move this amendment, staff recommends using the amendatory motion language in the staff report. And staff recommends the clarifying amendment be moved tonight and that the proposed ordinance be adopted as amended. All right, thank you. Is there an opening motion? I move we approve ordinance number 997, amending title 20 of the Shoreline Municipal Code to update transportation level of service and concurrency. Is there a second? Second. All right, motion and a second. Would you like to discuss the motion or are there any amendments? I don't have any amendments and I plan to support this ordinance. All right. Anyone else have comments or amendments? All right, Councilmember Roberts, I think he's going to save me here. <laughs> yes, I will save you. Uh, can the staff go back to the screen with the amendment um, that's proposed? Thank you. I move to amend Ordinance 997 by modifying the language set forth in SMC 206140 adequate streets with the proposed amended code language attached to the December 11th, 2023 staff report as attachment C. Is there a second? Second that. All right, Councilmember, would you like to speak to your motion? Sure, I'll speak briefly, but I think this really uh, helps. Um, and I'll just turn it over to you, Mayor. <laughs> All right, any other comments? All right, the purpose, this, this strikes the sidewalk widths, which I don't, I'm not entirely clear why it was in there in the first place, but it, we can address sidewalk widths in other places like the engineering design manual. And most of the comments we've had concerned with this motion have been limited to that one little item. And so this just takes it out and we can take up that issue focused on it rather than focused on person versus vehicle trips, which is a, a fairly separate concept. Uh, any other comments on the, either the, well, or any other comments on the amendment? Will the clerk please call the vote on the amendment? Mayor Scully. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Councilmember Mark. Aye.
Deputy Mayor Robertson. Aye. All right, the motion passes six to zero. Councilmember Carmel has stepped away. Um, any other comment, any other amendments or comments on the motion as amended? All right, will the clerk please call the vote on the motion as amended? Mayor Scully? Aye. Deputy Mayor Robertson? Aye. Councilmember Roberts? Yep. Councilmember, did you want to speak? I did, but I was hoping that Councilmember Connell would get back in time for this vote. I don't want to recess, um, so I think we're going to go ahead with it. Do you, do you have a comment you'd like to make before we continue with the vote? I was wanting if she, I will say aye. All right. Councilmember Poby. Aye. Councilmember Mark. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale. Aye. And Councilmember McConnell is not here. All right, I don't think you called me. Nope. I'm an aye. Oh. Yep. Um, so it's 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 six to none with Councilmember McConnell temporarily absent, and I think that concludes this item, correct? Yes, All right, and we're going to move on you. to study item nine A, which is a discussion of ordinance number nine nine nine, related to uh, amending the code to establish permanent regulations for major and minor fleet bases. Uh, Ms. Lee. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and Council. I'm Kate Lee. I'm a planner in the Planning and Community Development Department here to present this item. Um, this item is now being referred to as major and minor fleet bases, but up until now was referred to as transit bus base and individual transportation and taxi facilities. The renaming is due to the proposed code amendments in front of you. The presentation will follow the outline on this slide, starting with background, moving into public involvement on this issue, next going into the proposed code and ending with next steps. So there are two facilities in the city that meet the definition of transit bus space, and there are no facilities operating in the city that are considered individual transportation and taxi facilities. The two bus bases are shown on the map here on the slide. The King County Metro North Base is located and operating in the Meridian Park neighborhood, just west of I-5 where North 165th Street dead ends. It was operational by 1990 before the city of Shoreline was incorporated in 1995. The other transit bus base is operating in the Ridgecrest neighborhood at the southwest intersection of 5th Avenue Northeast and North 165th Street. It was oper um, It is being used as an access van storage repair and dispatch site. The site was originally developed in the 1950s as a bingo hall and has been used as an access van site since about 2012. So shortly before the city was incorporated, in 1995, council adopted ordinance number 11, the city's interim zoning regulations, were, which were essentially title 21A of the King County Code with a few changes. 
At that time, both individual transportation taxi and transit base were defined in the Shoreline Municipal Code and were allowed either as permitted uses or special uses in several zoning categories. The city has significantly changed since incorporation, including the creation of sub-area plans in the town center and the two light rail stations with corresponding new zones for the town center and the mixed-use residential zones around the station areas. In the context of all this change, these two uses have gone unexamined since incorporation. On July 17th of this year, City Council unanimously adopted Ordinance Number 991, which enacted an emergency six-month moratorium that prohibited the city from accepting, processing, and or approving all applications or permits for any transit bus bases and individual transportation and taxi facilities while staff could further study this issue. On August 14th, council held the required public hearing on this ordinance. In September of this year, staff conducted research into other cities in King County and how these two uses are regulated. On October, in September of this year, on October 19th, Planning Commission discussed this item and on, on November 16th held a public hearing. Throughout the public process, the city has received comments from representatives of the property owner of the access van site and King County Metro. The comments expressed concern about the moratorium and the ability to locate the access van operation on another site in the city of Shoreline. City staff and King County Metro staff met on September 12th to discuss Metro siting needs. The research done by staff so far and next steps on finding a location for the access van site. City staff representatives for the property owner of the access van site and King County Metro staff met again on November 30th. The city determined that the proposed development code amendments will not have a prob probable significant adverse impact on the environment and on October 26 issued a state environmental policy act determination of non-significance. The city only received one non-comment comment from a tribal agency stating they had no comment on the proposal. The proposed amendments are summarized in the staff report itself and also in Exhibit A to Attachment A of the staff report. Those are in legislative format where additions to the code are underlined and deletions are shown in strike through. The language is based on research conducted by city staff and input from the Planning Commission. The definitions for fleet-based major and fleet-based minor are added. The difference between these two uses are the size of vehicles stored, repaired, and dispatched from the location. The definition of transit bus base is proposed to be deleted. Additional decision criteria are proposed for minor fleet base use when it is a conditional use and for the minor fleet base use and major fleet base use when they are special uses. There are five decision criteria proposed intended to ensure appropriate siting and limiting impacts on surrounding areas where these uses would locate in the future. Minor fleet base is proposed to be a conditional use in the community business and mixed business zones and a special use in the R4 through R48 residential zones. Major fleet base is proposed to be a special use in the R4 through R48 zones and the community business and mixed business zones. The transit bus base use and individual transportation and taxi use are proposed to be deleted from the use charts. 
proposed ordinance number 999 is currently scheduled to be brought back to council for potential action on January 8th, 2024. The emergency moratorium expires January 17th, unless extended through council action. And that's all I have for you tonight. Thank you. Thank you, this is a study item so we can go straight to discussion. I just wanna reiterate that we cannot get legal advice in an open public meeting. If we do that, we have to do it in an executive session. Are there questions or comments from council? Councilman Mork. Uh, the planning commission, uh, what, how did that go and what was their outcome? Um, we had two meetings with the Planning Commission, one in October where the item was discussed and we received feedback for any proposed changes to the language that staff has was contemplating at the time. We received feedback from the Planning Commission. Um, they expressed concerns about some impacts uh, with the use related to odor. So we added in some language specifically addressing odor. Um, this use is proposed to be either a conditional use or a special use. And so um, the decision criteria recognized that that would be one of the factors to consider odor mitigation in approving the use. Um, there were some other questions about um, the proposal would allow um, the use in the community business zone only when located on a state highway. And uh, Planning Commission had a question about the term state highway versus principal arterial. And there is a significant di difference. Principal arterial would include parts of the city where the, this use would uh, not be recommended for approval by city staff, such as North City, um, where we're really, uh, the vision of the comprehensive plan is for a mixed use, um, commercial, multifamily, vibrant urban center, um, not uses that are either light industrial or vehicle oriented in nature. Thank you. Other questions, Councilmember Roberts. Thank you. Did the Planning Commission consider uh, conditional uses for other sites throughout the city? You you mean for these two specific uses? For the yes, for these two specific uses. Yeah, we uh, staff uh, presented recommendations based on where we saw these other uses located throughout the county. Um, we don't have an industrial zoning district in the city of Shoreline. The, the highest um, and most intense commercial zoning district we have is mixed business. And so that's what the city recommendations were, were based on. Um, uh, all the other city codes that we looked at and where these bases are currently operational. These are in, uh, industrial zones or heavy commercial zones where these uses are allowed. Um, so uh, Planning Commission had the opportunity to, to look at and direct staff to study other zoning districts where this could be allowed, but uh, did not do so. Does this ordinance um, specify who the operator of a transit service would be, would be. It does not, it, um, it defines the two uses between major and minor based on the size of the vehicle repaired and dispatched. So 30 feet and under the length of the vehicle, 30 feet and under would be minor, 30 feet and over would be a major. Um, the reasoning there is the larger the vehicle is, the louder, 
uh, more impact on roadways, um, more um, odor impacts, emission impacts, things of that nature. So um, the operator is, is not a consideration. It's the impact of the vehicles that are repaired and dispatched from the site. Okay, um, on the map that was shown uh, several slides before, on um, slide three, it shows two um, facilities, the North Base facility and the Access Van facility. There actually have, has there been discussion of, with the school district about its transit facility? There is not. Um, there's another use in the use tables called school bus base, which would, which would be further defined, um, outlined in the use charts. So um, this is not specific to, to school buses. I mean, the principle, I would presume, is the same. It is um, it is outlined as its own use in the use chart. So when looking at how we're going to define a use, if there's a use that's more specific to an operation, it would be that more specific use rather than a broad use. Um, we certainly could go back and and look at that. Um, it it you know would mean an extension of the moratorium perhaps and things of that nature. Well, I'll just say that I have concerns about this ordinance. I think that it's um, this setting aside the school district facility for a moment. Uh, I, I think that we need to be careful about pushing uses out of the city and out of established places where there are established there are established businesses. I think we need to be careful about that. And I would recommend this coming back with some sort of additional use for other areas of the city. Thank you, Mayor. Other questions or comments? All right, I've been emailing with City Manager Allington, um, and he's indicated that we were able to have an executive session to address the legal parts of it before the January 8th meeting. Is that accurate? We are recommending that the executive session be held on Jan January 8th. Right, no, right, but before, before we take the vote, yes. obviously. Yeah, okay, all right. So we'll do that and we'll be able to ask our attorneys questions about potential litigation. The reason we need to do it on that timeline is the moratorium expires, so we really ideally want to get this done before that happens. Um, any questions or comments other than what's already been said? All right, so I think that closes this item and we are adjourned. Thank you again, Doris.